Please listen carefully. And now, live from the Lending Library in McKinney, Texas, it's the Assuming Positions Podcast, featuring two lugubrious and loquacious guys who just found a thesaurus, Kevin and Mikey. Hey everybody, welcome to the Assuming Positions Podcast. Kevin over here. And Mikey over here. And today on the podcast, we have another edition of That Guy Reads. And who's that guy? That guy's Brad. Hey there, guys. There's Brad. So Brad, uh, we've done this once or twice? Once. Sure. Uno. Mikey's sticking up his index finger, which I mean, either means he wants me to pause, (laughs) or it's one. Just one. Just one. That guy reads. Because Brad is a... Oh, the word voracious, mm-hmm. voracious reader. Yes. yes, is voracious used with anything else? It's ever? one of those funny things that you think when you hear the word voracious, you hear reader next. Yeah. What else are they going to say? Is you there know? a voracious? I've heard someone has a voracious appetite. Yeah, I was sure. going to say eater, but nothing else really. It's no. like he's a voracious video gamer, <laughs> consumer of video games. I don't mm. know. It's it's a very it's a very linked past there yes yeah. and absolutely and i've used that phrase to describe myself for years well for sure you like go through what how many books a week on uh, average you know two books a week that's, usually that's yeah. a lot i read 50 something books last year and i think that's my personal high wow that's intense yeah and we'll, we'll mention it later but uh 40 something of those were terry pratchett books so I set myself little weird goals, but we can get into that. <laughs> well, Terry or, Pratchett does have like a bibliography of like sixty books. Yeah. So. so what do you have for us today, Brad? What what do, do we need to be reading? What are you reading right now? <laughs> okay, so right now, and and we'll kind of scatter shoot with this, I think. But right now, I'm reading through some of my favorite books from the Clive Cussler uh, universe. Clive Cussler uh, brought us a character named Dirk Pitt. And Dirk Pitt, you may know from one particular movie that finally got made in the 90s, and it was Sahara, and that was a Dirk Pitt story, and it had our buddy Matt McConaughey play Dirk Pitt, and then we had... Don't leave out Steve Zahn. Steve Zahn. One of my, one of my favorites. Right. That's right. Steve Zahn as the sidekick. And it's a classic. It's a... Uh, all of his books follow a very formulaic thing, and... A dozen authors can be accused of this, but it's very Ian Fleming or it's very every book. uh, James Patterson could be accused of this. There's a hero and a sidekick. Dean Koontz does this a lot. Yeah. Hero and sidekick. But Kessler, he's like nautical Navy pirates. That's his lane, right? They're all nautical based in some form or fashion. And he has his own uh, made up uh, organization, NUMA, the National Underwater and Marine Association. And, <laughs> NUMA, NUMA. And then on top of there being, you know, his main characters, there's also several spinoff books that feature other heroes and characters that are all under the same umbrella. And the one I particularly like are called the Oregon Files. And again, I'm going to scattershoot. This is <laughs> going to be a little all over the place. But the Oregon Files, it's a book, a group of about 10 books. I've been going through and reading them in series. And it's about a clandestine freighter that's really a spy ship, but it looks like a hunk of junk, <laughs> kind of Millennium Falconish, mm. and it's capable of doing all these incredible things. But when people, especially bad guys, see it in port, they think nothing of it. It's mm. a five hundred foot long tramp steamer. A couple of the cranes are falling down. It's got buckets all over the deck, but got plywood over the windows and things. But deep down at the center of it, it's state of the art. They do jobs for the CIA and, and governments that can afford them. They're kind of the A-team on the sea. When somebody else doesn't want to handle something, they give the job to the Oregon team. 
Are they like mercenaries, though? They are, kind of. So one of the things I really love about this series and is a reoccurring theme in a lot of my book series are it's all about saving the world. I mean, like, what fun's a book if it's not, you know, if it's not turbulent and there's not an incredible story of we've got to stop the bad guy before such and such happens. And I look back at all my books I read, and they're almost all always like that in some form or fashion. Uh, I love good camaraderie. I love a good sidekick. And I can give, you know, countless examples of that. But uh, just this year, I've had a lot of fun rereading some of those Oregon Files books by Clive Cussler. And he has several other series within that that are great. He did some of the early James Patterson model where uh, established author brings on junior author and has uh-huh. them help write the book. Okay. Spread the work around. Exactly. Yeah. And Patterson, I mean, you walk through any airport uh, bookstore or any any local bookstore mm-hmm. and he'll have 20 things out with a dozen different people. Uh, and some of the series don't sleep on them. Some of the series are always really great. So like, that's a, how new of a thing is that? And how does everyone feel about that? Sure. That's a great question. How new is that? Is that a new th- It seems like a new thing. 20 years, maybe? Yeah. 15 to I 20 mean, years? I mean, as far as book writing, that's new. Because if you go back yeah. to Gutenberg, it's a Sure. <laughs> sure. Yeah. You know, you've got 400 years <laughs> of, of written word. But uh, Patterson's one of the first ones that comes to mind. That's interesting. Uh, by bringing people on board. It's real interesting because it's almost like movie making sure in a lot but in book yeah. form or actually it's more like tv writing because um you know all the tv shows would often have a creator yep and they do the pilot and then some episodes but as it goes on they just hire writers to write episodes that's right and a, one of the big things that people do in hollywood is they write treatments which are f- like fake episodes basically of something yeah spec scripts yeah and spec scripts yeah and submit it to see if they can get hired on or if they can even get it bought and made into an episode of the show there you go i don't know how much that happens anymore but that's what used to happen like very much in the 80s and 90s that was a big thing Mm -hmm. you know you'd write a spec script for like knight rider and see if you could (laughs) get it made and as a matter of fact if you look at some of those old 80s shows and you go down the writer's It'll literally be like one episode. It'll be a name, one yes. episode, one episode, one episode, one episode, one episode. A lot of times names you knew. Yeah. You know? uh, one of our favorites, Patton Oswalt, used to punch up scripts. And yeah. Carrie Fisher was a mm-hmm. was a, a rewriter and went mm-hmm. in and, and rewrote some things. And, and a lot of famous names that you'd recognize did that and, and punched up the, the treatments or helped out with the stuff. I, I, I like the idea from an author standpoint of uh, established author fostering a a new talent and helping them get to market yeah, yeah. where otherwise their only tool might have been self-publishing or going with a small press mm-hmm. or that kind of thing. Another thing, uh, one of the authors that we like, Michael Stackpole, does clinics and does ways to help people and, and here's how to get published. Uh, uh, Larry Correa has, uh, you know, from the Monster Hunter series, uh, has helped other people and, and partnered with people hmm. and helped them get established or get books published. And yeah, Brandon Sanderson does that a lot for fa- yeah. the fantasy world. I think that's beautiful. It's interesting to me. It's real interesting because it just seems so new and different with all these other series that you think of these classic ones in the past when the author like dies and like someone takes it over, everyone's like, whoa, grumple, grumple. (laughs) Right. You know, unless it's like their son or something, then people are like, grumple, grumple. A little less. You know, (laughs) Tolkien gets a pass because it's family. Sure, it was his son Christopher. uh, But you had an example of that as the Wheel of Time with with Robert Jordan and then wasn't it Sanderson? It was Sanderson. took it over. He gets a pass because they actually made it happen before he died. It wasn't like, oh, we still have all this after he's gone. It was like, sure. things are going south. 
you're gonna I'm gonna bring you on as my protege, explain this world, and I think you're capable of telling the story I want to be told. So it was sort of a, a, a handshake sort of deal and it mm. made it work. But to Kevin's point, I think TV series is the good analogy because it's about longevity. You're talking about Patterson, who's written probably a book a week, yeah, right. something it like seems that. Like it. So the fact that he's bringing up other people means that those worlds get to continue, even though the author may not, which yes. is cool. Here, come play in my sandbox. You see a lot of that in a lot of the things that do eventually get to go from book to screen, like the Hieronymus Bosch series, for example. <laughs> uh, those were a, a tremendous amount of books, and now they're TV shows, and uh, that's been a character a couple of different iterations, and people get to all work in that world. Another author that I would bring up about creating worlds and inviting other authors to write in it is, is Philip Jose Farmer, who's not hugely well-known, but he was a peer of uh, Vonnegut and Heinlein mm. in the 60s and 70s, and he was a little more alt-culture in that he was the guy who would wind up with his short stories published in Playboy or would, <laughs> or would write in Penthouse. You remember how no. there would be sci-fi stories and things? Yeah. And sometimes they'd be a little alt-culture. I, I read it for the articles. Of course you do. These are the articles you told people that you read the magazine for. Now, now, the, now, <laughs> now to defend that, I know it's a funny statement, but I literally, I, I've I've seen a book mm -hmm. that is literally just Playboy articles. Yes, there's no any there's no pictures in it other than whatever went with the article, which is usually like a cartoon or something. But yep. there's nothing like body or anything in there. There's just like right. tons of articles. So they did. It was it was a very interesting magazine back in the day, especially for the people they were having submitting. Like Brad saying, like it was like yeah. Vonnegut's and like people yeah. doing editorials and short stories that <laughs> yeah. would go nowhere else. And this is 60s, 70s, 80s. Exactly. Like it, over time, it did get a little... Well, sci-fi wasn't yeah. as popular then yeah. either. You remember like the yeah. Logan's Run days and things like that? Because before <clears throat> we had Star Wars, which mm -hmm. was things like Logan's Run and and uh, a handful of kind of tacky space movies and some Roger Corman flicks, we didn't really have any kind of epic space movie or anything mm -hmm. really. So we had science fiction. And I mean, you could argue that science fiction goes back to you know, Homer or, <laughs> or, or at least Jules Verne, Jules Verne, you know, Jules Verne yeah. uh, who's really the, you know, him and Victor Hugo are probably the grandfathers Mary of sci-fi and Mary Shelley with yeah. the horror, uh, which leads us to, and, and is a great transition, if you don't mind, for a, just a hidden gem that something that I, I think I saw it in the bookstores years ago and I, I never picked it up and I found myself in between books and I always have this kind of anxiety or this moment of panic. I like to have a stack of books on deck. If I get down to just one book left or, <laughs> or I finish a book and I don't have another one on deck, there's this moment of panic when I'm like, oh shoot, what am I going to read? Oh, wow. I, I got to go to the book warehouse, you know? I'm going to run and out of Brad, books. Brad's in, the, Brad's in the bathroom grabbing the Prell <laughs> while we're reading. Yeah, like, I'm reading the shampoo <laughs> bottle. And, oh, come on. Yeah. Oh, oh, here's some Lysol. All I right. need my fix. <laughs> I'm on Reddit looking and it suggested reading lists and things. <laughs> and I'm like, these people are idiots. What am I? All right. So I picked up something that I glossed over as a kid. I, I loved Dean Koontz. I, I, uh, I got into Stephen King and Dean Koontz probably when I was 11, 12 years old and read everything I could get my hands on. But I slept on or missed Dean Koontz's Frankenstein series. Well, speaking of Mary Shelley, yeah. Yes, oh. which that's, that's a great transition. And I thought, well, you know what? I'm going to pick this up. And I went into it thinking it was a trilogy. And I sat down and I plowed through the first three books really quickly. I think I read two of them the first week. Just enjoyed it. And it's a really fresh take on it, it pays a lot of really nice homage to Mary Shelley's work. And it even incorporates a lot of the elements of the tragic anti-hero. But, you know, the doctor is the bad guy. And he is, without a doubt, 
evil, and the monster is the tragic hero in in yeah, the yeah. Dean Koontz take. And it's really well put together. And then imagine my surprise when my three-book trilogy turned into a five-book trilogy when I was like, wait a minute, there's two more? I had no idea. I was so wow. thrilled. So Wait, five-book trilogy? So it's a five-book just... trilogy, yeah. Yeah, don't don't get lost in that. Much, <laughs> much like the, Quint- the Douglas Adams Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is a five-book trilogy. Quintala- quintilogy. So... Quintet? Quintet. Oh, quintet, that's what it, it is. It could stand on its own as the first three books, but when you find out that mm. they cranked out a couple more, it's a nice treat. That's interesting. I might be interested in that. And it's it's a really fun take. Check it out. And, and if anybody's by a bookstore, make a note to do the Dean Koontz Frankenstein books because it's a fresh take on the character. It's put in modern times. It features all the things that you love from a Dean Koontz story in that there's a a great sidekick duo, the (laughs) cops who are investigating the stuff who wind up intertwined with Frankenstein's monster are a neat pair. You've got the fun-loving, wisecracking Hawaiian shirt guy, and you've got the tough, no-nonsense. I picture, picture Holly Hunter playing her, you know, the the no-frills, you That's know, real true. tough girl uh, cop <laughs> who's got something to prove. You know, maybe people thought her dad was dirty or something, and so she's going to wind up being an ace cop <laughs> and her sidekick who doesn't take things quite as seriously, but you know she can trust him. And then they get wrapped up into this world where they find out, hey, wait a minute, Frankenstein monster was real? Next you're going to tell us vampires are real, you Uh-oh. know, and and you know we've seen some treatment on that in in uh, Koontz and then Robert McCammon wrote probably one of my favorite vampire books They Live another modern take on a classic trope so anyway I told you we we're going to be doing some scatter shooting and oh, that's around. what it's all about but Dean Koontz one of my favorites growing up but that is right like the whole sidekick duo is such a staple like if you're reading a Dean Koontz book you're going to get a duo there's probably going to be a dog or there's a, a dog a pet yep. in there somewhere there is the creepy supernatural bad guy and little supernatural events that happen that he doesn't quite explain. But it is pretty funny how Dean Koontz has like, it's not a nautical lane, but he has, you can tell it's a Dean Koontz book. Everybody's got their trope. Everybody's got their thing that they do well. And, you know, Stephen King, you know, has his, his creepy thing. Stephen King will show you the monster and then spin him around and show you the zipper and, you know, show you how everything works. And look, here's its guts. And, you know, <laughs> Dean Koontz leaves a little more out there and. I don't know if this is just the people I grew up with, but it was always a conversation. Like you were either a Dean Koontz fan or a Stephen King fan. Like that is there's sort a of like bit. Star Wars, Star Trek. You sure, did, you picked your mm. lane and Stones stuck with versus it. Beatles. Yeah, I understand. I, I to be fair, I went Koontz first and did a whole bunch of his before I even tapped into Stephen King because of that. And then I was like, oh, I'm dumb. I missed out on all this yeah. cool stuff. But for the longest time, it was like, got to pick one, Stones it's, or Beatles. It's true. I mean, when mm. I read The Stand, probably at 13, that was some of the best reading I ever. You want to talk about being disappointed when a book ends, you know, mm-hmm. or, or really feeling like, holy cow, I could go back and read that. Or the Dark Tower stuff, you know, at least for the first several volumes. When you end a, a book and you think, oh my goodness, I can't wait for the next one to start. I feel like the guys, Kevin and I's age, it was kind of that way when we were first getting some of our first, what eventually would become EU Star Wars stuff. Mm, oh yeah. You know, sure. we were 13 when Jedi came out mm-hmm. and then we got a couple of books by Kevin Anderson. Yeah. And every time we got to re-enter that world, and then the Timothy's on stuff, every time we got to re-enter that world, it was such a treat. It's like, here's that ice cream again I love. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't have to be my favorite flavor, but it's ice cream. Mm-hmm. One tidbit, because you just mentioned Kevin J. Anderson, uh, that Frankenstein book we were just talking about, mm-hmm. Dean Coons, the first one, speaking of bringing in your friends to help, it's actually Dean Coons and Kevin J. Anderson writing together. Wow. Oh, wow. So um, all the more reason to check it out. Interesting. I got to get back to it. I only read the first two. I didn't know there were five. Yeah, right? Oh, wow. It's it's delightful. 
and then we could have this whole conversation about guys we wish would let other people write in their universe. <laughs> what does that um, mean? Well, it means I'm talking to guys like, I, I, I'm not a huge George R. R. Martin fan, but if I was a Game oh of Thrones gosh. person, I'd feel really worried that he's not going to finish his whole yeah. epic you know, thing, <laughs> and I'd be mad about that. Didn't we just talk about what, what was my theory? <laughs> I had a theory that he's actually done with it. Yeah, we, we were speculating on, I think it was on Nerd Alerts, yeah. but he's done. He just, he doesn't want to give people the satisfaction. The fans are so waiting for whatever they're hanging on, whatever we, this we next book is. We think that he's going to release it posthumously, so oh, he doesn't see. have to hear about it. <laughs> 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 That's fascinating. And I have a couple authors that, that I, I worry about that. One of my favorites is Glenn Cook, who brought us The Black Company, which mm-hmm. is such a, a beautiful oh, yeah. work of like eight or nine books. And he then had the same kind of luck as Butcher in that he said, you know what, I'm going to write a whole nother series. And he's written three or four of those things. You're like, go "Go back to the black company and finish it for us. Mm -hmm. I got to find out what happens with Croker and and everybody else. But there is something to be said for those authors that like tell the story that they want and then try and switch gears just a little bit, just to keep it fresh and do something completely different to challenge themselves. Like, I mean, Uh, Butcher did it. Jim Butcher did a great job with it. He could have done Dresden all day long. He absolutely And he still is, but... He has the Pokemon Roman Legion series, and now he has a new one about animal pirates. Like, right. He's just, it's like a, a GM. You want to play in different worlds, I uh, guess. Kevin Hearn did that with uh, If Anyone Fell in Love with the Iron Druid Chronicle. Uh, he wrote nine books, and then he pretty much, spoiler alert, like hamstrung the character and made it so like, this guy can never be a hero again. And you just need to know that after nine books, he's done. Maybe there's some ancillary characters, and maybe his dog Oberon goes and has some adventures, but that's go. it. You know, he, like, <laughs> he chopped off his arms and legs and like pulled an Anakin on him, and then he's like, we're done. But then he wrote two or three other great books. Check out his Plague of Giants. It, they're incredible. Okay. And they're a whole different universe, whole different world. Different they're characters, super heavy still the fantasy. Same they're very Joe Abercrombie in that they're kind of dark fantasy, not okay. grim dark like Abercrombie is, but there's, there's some other good stuff. See, I told you, scatter shooting. So now Abercrombie's partner Fitch. <laughs> yes. Or is it Finch? <laughs> it's Fitch. It is Fitch. So when did they when did they get into making clothes? Wait, no, sorry. You got to supplement <laughs> the uh, income somehow, right? You know, you got to have a plan to fall writer. back on. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that was bad. <laughs> that was great. Question for the table. Mm. Who here is a read a book once and it's done forever or go back and reread it? I'm mostly a read once, but I have countless examples of where I've gone back and reread something. Yeah. You think you'd have to be with your amount of reading that you do. There's so many more books for you to read. Well, you know, the short-term memory loss helps. <laughs> Sometimes I'm halfway through a book when I'm like, hey, wait a minute. Oh, that's funny. I've read this. That's funny. I'm generally one and done, though there are some that I keep. I got you. With like, I don't, I just keep them. Yeah. I like them so much, I keep them. Sure. And I don't know if I'll ever read them again, but I just like them being there. Just in case that urge strikes. But I, there's a few that, there's there's a few that I think I've actually read more than once but it's it's really rare okay if i do it's a series usually like the black company i've read the black company two or three times the dungeon series by uh, philip jose farmer uh i read once as a young man and then i picked it up and read it again recently as an adult and loved it still most of mine the most of my repeats are my favorite books because i've read them a bunch but it's also like when you were a kid and you only had so many video games so you got really mm, good at like three yeah, video games sure you know, my parents were always good about buying me books, but I'd read them so fast. So it's like, well, I don't have a new book, so I'll just start it again. Like right? that type of stuff. But it was always a series. Like if it was a one off, I'd be like, OK, I got it. But uh, Dark Tower by Stephen King, yeah. uh, Dragonlance, an old Deathgate cycle fantasy mm. book. Oh, yeah. sure. 
I've read all of those maybe three times or more. Yeah, a Ridiculous. lot of the old Ari Salvatore stuff I've read a couple of times. Yeah, I think I read the all the Dritz Duarden thing twice. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that Forgotten was, Realms? No. Yeah, 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 that's right. I think so. There, yeah, there's a lot. My book consumption is always interesting. I don't read tons of novels, gotcha. really. I never really have. The, and anything I read was usually Dungeons and Dragons related or <laughs> Choose Your Own Adventures when right. I was a kid. Love which those. I think would be neat to... I haven't even seen those around anymore. Why don't mm-hmm. they make but, adult ones? Yeah. You know? But I used to love the Choose Your Own Adventures because that was like D&D before I met people who, who played right. it. Absolutely. So, <laughs> it was like, oh, wait, there's people who kind of do this? <laughs> But not in a book. But most of my reading is like nonfiction history stuff. I'm one of those people. You found your lane. You found like, what you enjoy to read. Like literally in, from Amazon on the way right now because I need the paper. <laughs> I can't. I don't do Kindles right. or tablets. But on the way right now, I have a Lewis and Clark book. Oh, nice. Neat. So and I think I think it's by McCullough or one or one Ambrose, Stephen Ambrose. It's one of the guys. And it is it is historical and yeah, yeah, nonfiction. Yeah. And yeah, there's guys that like like Stephen Ambrose, he's the guy who did Band of Brothers and all yeah. that stuff. There's a lot of more modern historical fiction authors who kind of try to novelize it. Okay. A, a lot of people don't like that, but I do like that. But there's it's like trying to make it more of a story and not really adding liberties. Yeah, they don't add, they try not to add liberties, but gotcha. they try to tell it as if like they're sitting down and telling you a yeah, story. That's interesting. Um, novel they call it novelization of it. It's like how you would make a movie. Yeah. Uh and it's so much more interesting cuz I have like I love history books so much. I've grabbed some that were like written in like the 60s and before they started doing this yeah. stuff and there it is literally like and then this guy did this. And this happened. And then this guy did this. And this happened. On this date, he decided to do this. And then this happened. And you're sitting there like, right. <laughs> you know, it's like school again. But, you and know, Johnson had a meeting with other Johnson. And then, then Smith. There's met no with reason Smith. the history can't be interesting. Yeah, there's a lot know? of guys like Ambrose McCullough. There's a lot of guys who the guy who I forget what his name is, the guy who wrote the Alexander Hamilton book that was made that. Gotcha. He, that. Um, what's that guy's name? Lin Manuel Miranda. That, yeah, that mm-hmm. he read. Lin Memo read that book and said, I'm going to make a musical of this. So, so Eamon Burge, not the right answer. <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> but anyway. Missed that one. <laughs> that's mostly my reading now. But we like having that guy Brad on because there's been a couple things that you've said, even on the last one, that I'm like, let me go get this. And I read it. And I'm yeah. like, oh, this is neat. We can have a lot of fun. And that's what that's what I love about uh, reading's a gift that, you know, you can you can give your kids, you can give your friends. Uh, I picked it up for my father because my father was a huge reader. And it's always something that you can talk. You know, it's it's our equivalent of or analog to talking about the newspaper. You know, mm-hmm. hey, did you read the sports column today? Or hey, did you see this? Or yep. hey, did you do that? Uh, and it's something that we can, even if we don't all read the same sort of stuff, one, it gives us something to talk about. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's, hey, uh, well, I know you guys I, give me a hard time because I'm always like, hey, guess what I'm reading? You know, and they're like, what, Brad? I don't know. What are you reading? And then I... You know, rattle off some oh, weird. Oh yeah, thing. I mean, the the I, if it wasn't for you, I would have never read the Monster Hunter books, yeah. which I really really enjoy. Yep. I never would have read the Scarecrow stuff, yeah, which I really enjoy. Matthew Riley, yeah, I never would have uh, read the Dresden stuff, 
which I really enjoy. There's a lot of stuff that's Neat. out there that I, I don't think I would have sought out because I'm sitting over there going like, oh, what did Eisenhower do in <laughs> the Second World War? <laughs> Other series of books that have brought me great joy, like you mentioned, Matt Riley, who is a, an Australian author who lives in America and just recently got his first success, just got an original screenplay off the ground and got it onto Netflix. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called Interceptor. Yeah, and yeah, for yeah. a first movie that mm-hmm. it is it is an excellent job it features uh thor's wife um <laughs> i wish i could remember her name off the top of my head she's charming she's it's great not natalie portman no no <laughs> no his Foster? real life his real life wife oh, 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 oh um and and he's got a funny bit part in it too which is great but it's a classic it's the classic what would brad like to read it's it's you know lone people up against uh, evil power trying to take over the world, trying to save it from them. You know, it's 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 the classic good versus evil. Insurmountable um, odds. Yes, yeah. exactly. I get it. And Matthew Riley is the one who's brought us so many super action books. He was one of the first authors I read that really did a great job at capturing that rampant page turning that I can't figure out what's going to happen next and it's super action mm-hmm. and it's oh my goodness the hero is saved by his fingertips or you know one of his great sidekicks come along and saves the day at the last possible second yeah uh, and he does that so well he does it beautifully uh, I would love to see future movies from him and there's a couple of great characters like you said the yeah Scarecrow he, stuff. Matthew O'Reilly very much has the you can see the tendrils that go back to the Pulp Fiction cliffhanging yes. stuff because his stuff is there's a you have to have a lot of suspension of disbelief because it can be really extreme but it's along the lines of that Pulp Fiction cliffhanger guy who you know what will will he make it out of it and then he makes it out of it in some implausible way that you believe for some reason that's right yeah. it's it's so well done and yeah. and so much fun and memorable characters and and forgettable bad guys but you know even if a situation's predictable oh my goodness the guy got bit in half by a killer whale you know i didn't see that coming that's not predictable you know, at all or, what or whatever uh, yeah ice station shout out to ice station probably oh. one of my favorite books by him if you read any matthew riley read ice station you'll be hooked you said interceptor was the movie yeah interceptor is the movie and, it's and the name neat. of the book uh it is it is a standalone there is no book did there, the movie do it justice Cause... uh it did a good job yeah okay. for telling the story now it, you know, it's a little wonky. It's it's a, obviously a, a person's first effort, and it got a little panned in places. But over a hundred million hours of of uh, watching, so I mean, Netflix considered it a success. There you go. Uh, so they'll they'll somebody will give them some money to do it again, and I think it was self funded. I think it was made for relatively low budget, mm-hmm. uh, only on a couple of sets, and the sets did kind of look like something we might have made back in our you know haunted house days, or you know when we were you know set building days and things like that. But intriguing engaging story so that was fun there you go hmm. yeah i mean a lot of movies are just made with some nice house somewhere and that's the set so. yeah <laughs> especially if it's a bottle movie it's like yeah. we don't have to leave this whole scene mm-hmm. uh, i was thinking of you speaking of netflix and uh, media based off books i just saw the trailer for gray man yeah and you've been talking that book up a whole bunch absolutely so uh our, our one of my favorite authors who i've actually had the pleasure of meeting a couple times mark greeny uh, another one of these super action kind of CIA thriller type guys. Now, I'll self-admit that I, 
I made the mistake of reading the Gray Man book interspersed with some Vince Flynn Mitch rap <laughs> stuff, which is really deep CIA book nerd stuff. But you cross contaminated. Very similar characters. Uh, tell me if this doesn't ring a bell for anybody because we've seen it in lots of other stories. He's been burned by his country. He used to be a company man. He worked for other government agency. You know, he worked for the CIA, and now he's working for the highest bidder, and he's preventing, you know, plans of global domination. Jack Reacher, what? You know, it's kind of got some some Jack Reacher in that it's another one of these real tough guy things. And I'm sure a psychiatrist could have a lot of fun telling me all about why I like the characters I like, because <laughs> we haven't even gotten into the, the lead child Reacher stuff. But yeah, those those books are fun, and they got him. They gave him a budget, and they said, "Here, make your movie." And our guy Ryan, uh, what's his name? Ryan Gosling. That's it. I always get his last name confused. Uh, Ryan Gosling is playing the Gray Man, and it'll be interesting. Anna De Armas is opposite him. Nice, fresh I love, off I love her. Uh, her Bond movie, which mm. was awesome. I actually just watched that this re- this this recently. This <laughs> recently, this recently. Yeah, I think good. it was this weekend, is what I was trying to say. But good stuff should be super action. It was shot in and around Paris and and shot in some locations in the U.S. Does Ryan Gosling fit your mental image of the character that you had reading it? Not necessarily, but he's such a good actor that I'm willing to put up with it. Yeah. Another table question. Like, as a reader, are you like, do you hear the voices or is it your voice reading to you or do you picture like... Characters? I hear the voices. I do my best to accept the author's picture of, because a lot of authors are really good at painting a a visual representation. So I try to go into it with an open mind. Uh, If there's a movie that exists, I sometimes can't help it but picture, oh, that's so-and-so is in the role. An example I'll give you about the opposite happening is, I mentioned it, uh, Vince Flynn wrote a series of books about a character named Mitch Rapp, who's almost similar to The Gray Man, where it's, you know, he's a CIA assassin, and he gets on the wrong side of his country, and he's overseas. Well, on on the back of every book, he had a picture of himself in a black and white suit. And so I couldn't help but picture that as the character, (laughs) even though that was the author, Mm -hmm. and he eventually died, you know, R.I.P. Vince Flynn, and another author picked up his series at the Blessing of the Family, and so that character's still going on. Mm. Kind of interesting. But there's a classic example of, you know, them putting a picture of themselves on the book, and I write that into the character, you know, and now that's that's what the character looks like to me. Yeah, I just, I mean, I've role-played for too long to not put, everyone has their own voice. I guess Sure. And I try and figure out what it is, and then try and keep it going through the whole thing, and... There's accents and all the <laughs> stuff happening in there. Yes. I'm borderline relieved, amused, and sometimes annoyed by the, if I'm reading a book and it's got like a pronunciation guide in the beginning or it's got a list of characters in the beginning, I start to think, oh no, what did I get myself into? But I'll always read through it and always make note of it and think, okay, well, this is, you know, this and that. The if, if the author's consistent and of a common voice with it, you can usually get through that. But I do appreciate a good pronunciation guide. Our guy uh, Kevin Hearn did that with all his Irish stuff that he put in. That's true. In his Iron Druid Chronicles, because there were a lot of Flidaeus and Flidu and you know Finnerty and a lot of that you know Irish stuff that you needed help with. I had no idea you spoke Gaelic. That yeah. was that was perfect. Good uh-huh. night. Oh, I can get with that. I love a good fantasy book that has that chunk in the beginning, like, here are the made-up fantasy words that you might need to know, like Shazbot Yeah, all the made-up... Uh, I love it. It's slang. very Tolkien-esque with uh, his his indexes and footnotes. Uh, another uh, random segue scatter shooting, Terry Pratchett. Uh, it is almost... It, it, was, it was a lot 
more difficult reading those electronically. And I, I, I did. I wish I'd read paperback versions of them all because he's famous for his footnotes. Ah, and a gotcha. lot of his footnotes would explain some of his silliness or some of his, you know, the, the, the prose would help with the world building mm. uh, because a lot of his stuff was just so absurd. I mean, in that instance, we're talking about a universe that exists on the back of a giant turtle supported by four elephants. And that is the Discworld. Stephen King did that stuff, too, where it's turtles all the way down. I wonder wonder where that comes from, because it's got to be based on something like, why is it a turtle holing up the world? It's it's the great attune. Yeah, a lot of that comes from Native American stuff. There's a funny bit in Red Dead Redemption about it. Yeah, and what's funny is that if you look at North America, they say we live on the back of a tortoise. Okay, but if you look at North America, how it's shaped, mm-hmm. and if someone draws the tortoise on there, the whole of North America is shaped like a giant turtle. That's crazy. Which is really, really strange. I feel like that's going to be really hard to corroborate. Mm-hmm. No, you can see it. <laughs> you can Stevie see King. it. We're going to look at a map. Yeah, I love you it. Look at a map. You have to look at a map with it imposed over it because it goes all the way up into like the Arctic and stuff. Gotcha. It makes sense. But it, it works though. It looks like a giant turtle. Which begs the question, how did they know it was shaped like that? I don't know. Interesting. Native American makes sense. It's sort of like explaining the world around you Mm -hmm. using what, you know, analogies and stuff like that. But it's just funny that like certain authors will pick up and like add their own little bit to it. I'm like, that's crazy. Right. Here's the turtles back. I love a good reoccurring bit though, too. (laughs) But Terry Pratchett, you went through all those, right? I went through, I read, uh, well, everything related to Discworld. He had some other stuff. and I, I, I ventured into some of it. I did some of the... The good omens type stuff and and some of that but i specifically enjoyed the night watch series which they they actually did make a tv series out of and it did okay i don't think it made it for a second season but ah, it was fun bummer. i loved the guy uh who played the the head guard and he was great and i'd watch anything with him in it uh, and <laughs> and that was a case where i saw the show before i read the book so I couldn't help but picture him in the role. And, mm-hmm. I've done and, that, the reverse, yeah. Yeah, so. That, that sometimes helps, though, because if they do the casting right, you're like, oh, this guy, it's perfect. Sure. Mm-hmm. Now, last time I was here, I talked about my love for Timothy Zahn and what he did mm-hmm. for the Star Wars yeah. world, and he's still doing it, and he's still been allowed yeah. to write a couple more in his in his modern Thrawn trilogy. Mm-hmm. So now he has a classic Thrawn trilogy and a modern Thrawn trilogy, and now, and I'm afraid I don't have it off the top of my head, but now he's got a new world that he's building that's non-Star Wars related that I feel like his success in Star Wars has allowed him to have the freedom to, to publish some of this other stuff that maybe he's been cooking for a while. And there's another example of meeting your idols. I, I've met him a couple times mm-hmm. and, and it just, you know, it just signings, but just genuine and nice and follow him on social media. And it's always refreshing to see that these guys are love the craft, love their fans, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. appreciate everything everybody does. So I'd be remiss if I babbled for, you know, 30 minutes about authors that I love that I didn't mention one of my favorites, which is James Rollins. Okay. Uh, James Rollins writes uh, more of that action stuff and it's always saving the world and he's got a superhero team or a super secret team of of agents and folks except there's works for DARPA and they they have their super secret base under the Smithsonian Castle and they're always jet setting around and trying to stop some kind of red tide before it you know <laughs> eats all the oil or something you know there's always something but is it um, people that are good at what they do or is it, it like is. superheroes it, no oh, it's okay. just it's and it's it's the greatest at at that sort of thing and then you mentioned Reacher, uh, Lee Child, who, who's written 20-some-odd successful Reacher books, and they finally did the Reacher series and did it correctly, and it's kind of the makeup for the Tom Cruise series. Those movies were great. 
lot of people had a problem with with the the person chosen to portray Reacher. There you go. Uh, but the last series that they did with Alan Richson as Reacher, uh, they really nailed what that character was about, and and that's your real classic, simple, formulaic book where it's good guy, bad guy, Reacher in the right place at the right time. Sometimes they don't always finish the best, and sometimes you don't get the denouement, and you don't get the the big finish that you want, but you get justice, yeah. you know, and, and Reacher walks away and sometimes Reacher says nothing and, you know, <laughs> and that's just how it resolves sometimes. And and now his, uh, his younger brother is carrying the torch so that Lee can retire oh, that's and cool. he'll keep the character oh, alive. I see. So we get, and basically this is, that's another thing that I love is consistency and authorship for the last 20 something years, we've gotten a Reacher book a year. And, and that's what I love about authors who work, that's working crazy. authors who just, they're cranking one out and you can always count on it. And, you know, every September I'm going to get a Reacher book, you know, <laughs> or whatever. And, and I love that because it's become something that you look forward to. It's it's almost the next best thing to discovering an author and finding out that he's got a pile of books. Oh, that's the best. Like like when Terry Pratchett died five or six years ago, I thought, you know what, I've always wanted to read or, you know, go through all that stuff. And, and so I did. And that's when I read 40 something books in a row. <laughs> and, and when we lost uh, Clive Cussler a few years ago, I had always read the Cussler books as they came out for the most part, most of my adult life. Mm-hmm. But I, that's when I went through and sat down and said, you know what, I'm going to read these back to back. And I pretty much have everything I've wanted to. He's got 80 something books. So wow. I don't think I'm going to go through all of them. But I went through my favorite series in the stories. Pratchett, I had the problem with. Uh, I went on a huge Douglas Adams kick. Sure. Plowed through those for the first time just because I missed it. And then you get across one of those lists, you're like, if you haven't read this, you're, what are you doing? You can't call yourself a reader. So I had to read Hitchhiker's. <laughs> you can't call yourself a yeah, reader. Right. Or a sci fi fan or what, you know, all the gatekeeping BS stuff. Yes. So it was like, oh, read Douglas Adams. So I was like, cool. And loved him, plowed through him. And then somebody was like, if you like Douglas Adams, you got to check out Terry Pratchett. Yeah. And I was like, cool. But then I get this where, like, if I'm stuck in the same vein for too many books, I'm like, oh, I need to change the pace. Like, it, he was great, but I had to tap out. I was like, I need something that's not British satire. It's I understand. wonderful, but yeah. I need an action blow up or a, a pirate or something. Right. Right. I get that. Do you know any good pirate books? You know, I, I personally, off the top of my head, don't think I've read a lot of good pirate <laughs> books. I've read a lot of nautical books. And a lot of the Cussler stuff I read will have the first opening chapter happen like hundreds of years earlier to set the scene for what we're going to find later. But mm-hmm. no, you know, the closest thing <laughs> I can think of that we read like that a while back was that Stackpole stuff, that Michael Stackpole stuff that reimagined North America oh, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and the Queen's Command and mm-hmm. all that. That was the closest I can think to it. There you go. So but that, that was some fun stuff. I don't know if he ever finished that series. We so, got to go back and look. Yeah, I'm not sure if he ever finished it, but. Kevin bought me the. Uh, I always I always grew up the name Black Flags Under Blue Skies. Oh yeah, yeah. It's more real life stuff. Yeah, but that's neat. a historic pirate. book. Oh, yeah. yeah, historic pirate books. Yeah. Yeah, there's a there's a hole in the pirate novel world. I guess actually, you I know, I only what? have one. Yeah, I can only I think, think of that, one. I think that there's. I think there's a lot of those Harlequin romance novels that happen on pirate ships. <laughs> That's from probably the, true. From yeah. the covers of some of those books I've seen. But a lot of those covers will keep us from buying those no, books. I know. You know, a lot of times. Like, I it's tend to gloss of, over those. If oh, I see yeah. a purple or a yellow yeah, cover, yeah. I'm probably out. I'm like, that's eh, probably not meant for me. Is Fab- Treasure Island? See Fabio yeah. on the front? 
<laughs> shirtless or blown in the yeah. wind. Then I probably know that one's probably not for yeah. me. You know? But he was always holding like some rig- rigging or sails or something. Yes, so, that's yeah. what I'm saying. I, I, think, giant wait, knife. I think some of those books might have been pirate books, Mikey. So you might want to check out the Harlequin romance novel series. <laughs> for research purposes only. <laughs> sure. Now here's my silly, the only pirate thing I could think of. So there's a one of my favorite authors is a guy named Scott Lynch. And he has a series that's currently going, but there's enough in there that it sort of wraps up. You know, he does the good thing where he wraps up the current storyline, but then adds to the overall arc. But his second book is actually all based on a ship, and they sort of become pirates to get to their next location. It's a book long, but he does pirating really well. Like right the on. first one starts off, they're a band of thieves. It's a group of like three or four uh, orphans, like, you know, got to make do on the streets, but they get trained by this blind priest. All good fantasy tropes. Nice. But they become this band of thieves that overcomes inter- insurmountable odds, and then next thing you know, they're on a, they're pirates, and it's like, okay, I, I buy into it. Sure. And then the third book, they're no longer pirates; they get they're onto the next thing. So it's just funny. You do mm. have to read a little bit to get there, but good pirate stuff. <laughs> <laughs> to that end, a lot of the stuff we've read is kind of borderline militaria, is you know, band of brothers kind of stuff, like you said, and that's something we can kind of cross over on and, and appreciate. Uh, I love that that. That's what I love about the Black Company. You know, it was a group of guys in the military in a kind of unnamed army that you didn't know a lot of in a fantasy setting. But all of those, what you have is you have that camaraderie. You have that. Oh, sure. This is that band of brothers. This is that group. And mm-hmm. and, and guys get killed. The fellowship is what we love about the old Tolkien stuff, of course. So that's kind of where I am on that stuff. Love it. I could just never do, sorry, back on the pirate tip, because that's what you got my brain thinking. Oh, <laughs> I could just never do, did you have this? Like, on my school reading, it was always these, it was nautical books. The but they Scholastic weren't, Book Club? Oh, right, or whatever it, it was? But it was like Kane Mutiny and Heart of Darkness yeah. and Master and Commander, and it was yeah. sailing books, but they were so, like, boring and tedious. Yeah, like heavy. Moby Dick. Like, Moby Dick, yeah. Ugh. You're, you're on a ship with, like, crewmates. This is supposed to be fun, but mm-hmm. what a slog. Right. <laughs> Maybe I was just the, the insolent uh, <laughs> student. And I, was well, like, and I that, don't want to read these many pages. That though. made me think, and I mentioned earlier, that made me think of, of uh, Old Man and the Sea, but that was different. That was Hemingway and then... In that's his own way, and that was a dude in a fish, you know. I love yeah. that one, but that's more about baseball. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to find you some of those Harlequin novels, I'm telling you. Okay. My mom <laughs> my mom used to have a subscription to those sure. books. Yeah, I think everybody's mom. Can I tell you something? Go for it. Those books are dirty. Yeah. I, they're really dirty. That's like, the, really dirty. It's kind of one of the selling it's, points. But it's like one of those things that, like, you're surprised. Like, when you're like... When you're a kid, yeah, I wonder you find what's, out. I wonder what's, yeah, I wonder what's yeah. in this book. And you're like, oh, this isn't that hard to read. And then you're like, what's happening yeah. right now? Like, well, this Did probably isn't for me. <laughs> but it's like, it's like, it's one of those things, too, like Brad was saying. It's, you, you know you're going to get it one reach a year, you know? With right. the Harlequin, they send you one every month. It's like, here's the next one. It's like, cool. Give me that next chapter, right. the next serial. Yeah, and that's what they were. They're serials for, for women. It was their, mm-hmm. you know, extension of a soap opera. It was a... I don't yeah, know if read, I've ever read, read one cover to cover. Though. I've never read one cover no. to cover. I had, I had, you, you, when you're a kid, like Brad said, you get yeah. to that point where something happens <laughs> in there, anything. and you're like, and you're like, I need to put this down right now because <laughs> this is this is making me feel weird things. But who was the who was the author in the? You're making me nostalgic now. Let's go. Who was the author that all of the books had a cutout in the front in like the 80s? There's always a cutout in the cover. Uh, wasn't it like not it was, Chris? Uh, it was one particular author. Hmm. It's a trivia question that I don't know the answer to. Interesting. 
and can picture it. Yeah, you can see it, right? Just just like I can picture the fold up uh, in the Mad Magazine and Cracked and stuff like that. It wasn't that, like Anne McCafferty or one of those, I was it? could have been. It was a could female. Have been DC Andrews. Oh, mate. Could have been. That's, um, that's getting closer. Yeah. 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 I know what you're talking about. People though. listening right now are screaming. Yeah, screaming at their, at their uh, device they use to listen to yeah. podcasts on. My random guess is McCafferty, if that's the okay. correct rest. I think it's Anne, but BC Andrews, that's a good one. Yeah. That was always the best part. You go to the horror section because they those were the books that usually had, like, or the Stephen King thrillers. Like, they always had the cool graphic. Like, right. something embossed or cut out, like you're saying. You re- it reveals a skeleton behind it or something. Oh, yeah. I do remember a lot of that. And the gist of it is, you know, find find what you like and, and don't be afraid to, you know, branch out a little bit. But tell your friend what you're reading. Tell your, you know, share your favorite books. I will occasionally, if I finish a book, I'll I'll leave it sitting on the chair at the airport or I'll... You know, leave it in the hotel room, my man, or whatever. And, you've you let know, me babysit a few. And I'll, I'll pass them on to my buddies. <laughs> yeah. still here. You know? that's, that's the best, though, especially with the old print books. Like, you buy them at the, yeah. you know, buy them at the used bookstore, get your five bucks worth, and be like, here, I'm passing this five bucks on to you. And I don't have the real estate to have the bookshelves upon bookshelves of books. So I, I tend to be fairly transient. I keep my favorites. I'll tend to hang yeah, on yeah. to, to hardcovers and stuff. But paperbacks, I flip, you know, and I use that budget to free up... Uh, you know, so now more book money. Are you um, a, are you a note taker or an underliner? While uh, you're reading? No, and I find myself actually almost infuriated sometimes by the people who are. But I appreciate everybody's style. You know, I'm I'm almost <laughs> more okay with with somebody who wants to highlight a a passage or underline something. What I don't like is the people who obviously ate while they were eating oh, their, no. reading their book, eating their book, and and you you flip to it and you're like, oh my goodness, I didn't realize I needed gloves. And a dustpan to read this book. It was you know? lasagna day. I'm sorry, Brad. Yeah, exactly. You get lasagna, or you got, oh, is that a booger? It's like, <laughs> what the heck? But, you know, you take the good with the bad, and this is what you get for, you know, buying and flipping used books. That's yeah. uh, life. Where we are, in, and we happen to have one of the largest uh, used bookstores oh, yeah. uh, down here, and absolutely love, love them, and, and spend a lot of time, and we've got several around us, but... We've got the one, the mothership, the flagship, and I spend a lot of time in there. You know, I'll pop down there once a week or so, and either you can kill half a day in stuff. there easily. Yeah, very much so, and I really do enjoy that place. Shout so. out Half Price Books. Yeah, I didn't <laughs> know if we didn't want to say their name or not. Yeah, but yeah Half Price Books is the best. It doesn't hurt. We're not saying anything bad about them. Yeah, <laughs> I was just in Half Price Books today. There you go. Nice. Literally today. Did you get anything? I didn't. No, nothing tickled my fancy. That, that happens with half price books. Sometimes yeah. you strike gold. Sometimes you get a walk away. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you find fourth and fifth books in a trilogy that you didn't know existed. Mm-hmm. I hate like when you're going for the trilogy and you can't find one. And yeah. you need to start it. It's like I'll buy the other one once I know the first one's good. Oh yeah, right. One more nerdy question for the table: audiobooks, yay or nay? Yeah, I have the hardest time with audiobooks. Okay. Uh, I don't know why. I will read an ebook. I read all the Pratchett stuff that way. I prefer analog or paperback. But yeah, I will occasionally. You turned me on to some audiobooks. Mm-hmm. I read the, uh, I guess you can still call it reading. I listened to that's, the, that's part of the, question. the hard the magic argument. stuff by you, Larry Korea. If you listen to it, does it count as reading the book? Some I, people say no. Some people are real adamant about it. It's like, it's not the same. You got to read it with your I eyeballs. I think it's a different experience. Like, I have a hard time picturing everything like i can do it I, I know you've listened to a lot of books while you were doing your walking and stuff right and, no i listen no? to podcasts usually. oh you'd podcast yeah it. okay and and that's i i have a little bit of a harder time concentrating to an ebook or an audiobook rather gotcha uh, than i do if i'm sitting down reading for some reason yeah i think that really the answer you're having the book read to you mm-hmm. 
It's like, you know, when you're a little kid. That's the best. The parent reads you the book. I, I don't think you can say you read it. You can say I had it read to me. <laughs> I listened to it. So I had this book read to me. I've experienced this book. So, but I mean, yeah, I mean, you know what the story is. Yep. So I guess it's kind of Cliff Notes. I got gotcha. you. So Cliff's Notes. It was Cliff's Notes, it actually. Hmm. But not Sparks Notes. No. <laughs> I have a confession to make. I did a lot of Cliff's Notes sure. in uh, high school. For why they existed. I, don't, I know. It's funny that they, even they make those. It's kind of hilarious. And, and guess what? They work really good. Yes. Oh, for sure. I did really good on my tests. Because <laughs> there are some of those books I didn't want to read. No. Yeah. So, but there's some I did. Like, you know, Fahrenheit 451. Absolutely. I ate that book. They gave us, I don't know how long they usually give you to read sure. a book. A month, maybe, yeah, I guess. Something like that. I was done. I was done in a couple of days. <laughs> uh, the Hobbit. You yeah. know, The Hobbit's a classic one. That I, that was yeah. one of my early memories of my, one of my early member berries about a fantasy book <laughs> having to, I want to say we were fifth grade or maybe sixth grade and I had to read it and I just loved it. There you go. I thought, oh my goodness, I got to get more stuff like this. I think that's a thing that we can tell the listeners too is that sometimes like when people say reading is hard, I don't think you found the right thing to read. Yeah. Listen uh, to all the lanes we've been talking about. Yeah, sure. how we have, we each have our little, like what pushes the button in the, in the noodle. Because uh, like I was kind of that person up until that in high school where someone handed me I, like, give me the cliff's notes so I don't have to read this dumb thing. Cause I could never get through it. Yep. And then they handed me Fahrenheit 451 and I was like, Oh, wow. I couldn't stop reading it. There you go. And then there's been other books like that, too, where it's like, oh, I can't stop reading this book. And Mm -hmm. Brad's found this lane that he likes, you know, with the CIA spycraft guys (laughs) and action things like this. And so he goes down that lane. And that's probably the best thing to do, because I think a lot of people will like, oh, I don't like to read. And it's like, no, you don't like to read what you've tried to read, I think. You just haven't found yourself. Is what it is, because... That's the thing is I'll start reading something and don't if and don't be for if you have to give up on it, it's not a failure. Sometimes you just no. have to be like, ah, What's I like, can't do this. Then you take it over to the used bookstore and that's it. someone else would love it. Yeah. It's like TV shows now. You get a couple episodes in be like, ah, I'm going to switch to something else. Yeah. Same with books. If you're not having fun, on to the next one. Let's yeah. let's be honest and cut right to the point. The only thing you should grudge read is The Cimmerillion. <laughs> no. It's the only thing anyone's ever grudge read. And otherwise, if it doesn't make you happy, don't do it. That's kind of the gist in life, you know. Find something you enjoy and do it repeatedly. I can work out in your favor, though, because I kind of <laughs> grudge read uh, Steinbeck. Oh, sure. Because he was always the name on the required reading list. Right, yeah. And I'm like, Kev, like, if, it, if they say, you have to do this, I'm like, oh, I kind of don't right. want to. Him or Norman Mailer or That's stuff it. like that. But I like I stuck with it and forced myself to read Steinbeck, and I it clicked at a certain point. I'm like, oh, this is great. But, sure. But still, if you kind of find your thing. And you feel like you've read the classics now, you know, that way. It's great advice. All right, before we wrap this up, everyone has to give their last book that they read that they recommend. <laughs> I dig sure. it. Not just the last book that you read. Yes. Last book you read or recommend. That you would lend to your buddy. Yeah. You want to go first, Mikey? Guess first. Guess okay. first? Sure. Sure. Uh, we touched on it. I would recommend uh, the Gray Man series by Mark Greeny with now about to be a major motion picture coming out any day now, if I'm not mistaken, on Netflix. Uh, check it out with Ryan Gosling and Anna de Armas. Uh, if it does well, I imagine we'll see more of these. There's about nine or ten books in the series. Oh, so it is a series. It is. Okay. It's a series, a series of books that'll be treated as as you know single movie experiences. Gotcha. Uh, and a lot of fun. So I recommend that. We can shoot for it. Who's going next? Uh, well, for me, 
It is one of these history books, but it's not a boring history book at all. Nice. It's very interesting. It's called The Voyage Long and Strange on the Trail of Vikings, Conquistadors, Lost Colonists, and Other Adventures in Early America. I like a lot of By Tony Horowitz. Now, the reason why this isn't as boring as the title sounds is because (laughs) it's literally written as almost a travel log. This guy, Tony Horowitz, is going to place to place all over North America to go to these places where stuff happened before the Mayflower ever got here. Sure. Mm-hmm. So he's like up in Greenland looking at Viking stuff, and he's he's goes all the way down to Florida, Cabeza de la Vaca's all going around. He goes all over the place, and then interspersed with what happened to him in that area in modern times, he tells you the story of what happened back then. Interesting. In old times. Yeah, so that sounds cool. It's very interesting, and he goes on all kinds of crazy adventures, and he gets crazy, like, <laughs> late-night weird motel stuff. At nice. one point, he ends up in a sweat lodge with some Native Americans, and he starts going on a, into the spirit world. It's crazy. It's 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 a really good read. What's Neat. the last name again? Tony Horowitz. Okay. Yep. Because that reminds me, there's an author I really like. This isn't my recommendation, but quick two cents. Uh, Sarah Vowell does that similar sort of structure, and I've never come across that, but she goes on trips across the mainly United States, but goes on trips and then does a historical event based on where she's going. Oh, yes, cool. it seems so like a similar thing, yeah. That, that, it definitely sounds like a lane mm, I can go down. Yeah. My recommendation, speaking of lanes, like we were just talking about and the things that push your buttons, I love me a stand-up comedy book. Uh, going back to the Steve Martin books, Woody Allen, yeah. George Carlin books. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a new one, and I hadn't gotten into this lane in a while, so I was super excited for it. But Tom Segura, one of our best, mm-hmm. he put out a book. He's already doing all the social media for it, so I won't, you know, you can go check that out. But having read it and listened to the audiobook, it's a real good time. Yeah. I, I would recommend the audiobook because it's like him doing a bit, like he's doing a special. Yeah. And he does it like it's funny how they make it still audiobook format, but you can hear. Tommy Buns go through like these funny <laughs> stories that are meant to be funny. So it was a real good time. And it is him doing it. It's not a different, that would be weird if it was somebody <laughs> else weird. No, it was doing no. a famous comedian. But like, <laughs> Brad sounds like Joe Rogan over here. Yeah. Anytime Joe Rogan has an author on and yeah. there's an audiobook and he's like, Do you read it? Yeah, right. And if the person goes, No, he's like, Why don't you read it? You yeah. need to read your own book. Right? No, this is Tom Segura reading it. It's funny, though, because, like, he's telling real-life stories. So, like, if you're familiar with Tom Segura, you know his circle and his friends, and he does impressions of them like you've heard him do. Yeah. He talks about Burt Kreischer, and he does Burt voice. And it makes it real enjoyable. Yeah, we saw him (laughs) a while back and really enjoyed him. Neat. That's great. So those are our recommendations. And we want to know if you have book recommendations for us. Yeah, do it. You can hit us up on all our social medias, at AssumingPod. That's Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Mostly Instagram, because pictures are fun. And we want to see what you look like. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you can also send us a Gmail, assumingpositions at gmail.com. .com. Every week I say, hey, Mikey, how do you want it formatted? But we have a guest. Ooh. So I'm going to say, Brad, how would you like them to format the Gmail they send to us? I would like it written out like a hostage exchange or <laughs> negotiation where you just cut the letters out from your favorite books and put it all together. <laughs> like a thriller. And, and I want to know what next book I'm going to read. I love it. They're predicting book, your future. I need book recommendations, folks. That's great. <laughs> uh, so we want to thank you guys so much for listening. Make sure you like it. Make sure you subscribe to it. Make sure you grab your friend's phone to make them subscribe to it. <laughs> Tell everyone about it. We love you guys for supporting us. Uh, we also want to thank that guy, Brad, for being here. Thanks, guys. And doing our announcing. Give us a... And now. Yes! <laughs> we also want to thank Not Scott Productions for our equipment, Jazzar for our music, and we hope you guys have a great rest of the week. Grab a book. Take a look. It's, it's in, in a, a book. book. Yeah. <laughs>
Reading Rainbow. 